I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Capehart. Black women occupy such a fraught place in American society that Malcolm X's words from 1962 sadly still ring true today. He said, quote, the most disrespected person in America is the black woman. Challenging the negative perceptions that undergird that disrespect has been the focus of many an artist for decades. In this conversation, first recorded for Washington Post Live on April 6th, we're turning the spotlight on one of them. Micheline Thomas has been called an artist for the ages, with her work celebrating the beauty of black women featured in exhibitions around the world, including the Smithsonian. We not only talk about her art, we also talk about the importance and power of seeing black people, black women, engaged in leisure and relaxation. So, you know, I didn't realize in the opening montage, we showed a lot of your work and I didn't realize you were the creator of one of my favorite pieces of art in the Smithsonian, the reclining black woman with the with the glittery red oh. shoes and the lips. Um, yeah, portrait um, of Manja, Portrait of Manja, yes, I love that's a That's a fantastic painting. <laughs> it, it, it really is. So you know yeah. what, in a profile last year, uh, my colleague Robin Goodvon wrote that you depict, and this is a quote from her, black women in repose, black women indulging in the luxury of self-assurance, black women existing in a world of their own creation. Um, just as the black woman in the painting, we were just in, in the work we were just talking about. How did black women become your muse? I think that's that's a very uh, important question when you're thinking about uh, the trajectory of my work and um, where I've come from and where I am today. I, um, you know, I think it has a lot to do with my personal life and my relationship with the women in my life, specifically uh, my mother, my grandmother, my aunties, my cousins, um, you know, friends, uh, frenemies, just black women <laughs> in general, celebrities, mentors, people that I look through and seen in, you know, sort of printed matter and also on, you know, television that look like me and recognizing and seeing that even though we have persevered and, and sort of made some incredible contributions to our society, um, that we're still, you know, looked at and considered, you know, as the, the lowest on sort of the, the barometer. And, you know, and that is testament as we just all witnessed recently, with uh, Angel C. Reese, you know what I mean? Like it just, it, it never ends. As soon as you think that you have come through some hurdles and that you have uh, have reached a platform, you're constantly reminded um, on a day-to-day -day basis that where your place is. They're constantly moving the goalposts, goalposts and letting, to let you know <laughs> um, mm -hmm. this actually where you belong. And so for me as an artist, um, I think I have a great opportunity um, as an artist who had some great privilege of going to an incredible Ivy League school like Yale University School of Art to use my, my voice and my creativity as a, a vehicle for impact, a vehicle for change, a vehicle for inspiration, so that my young year old 
self as the eight-year-old person I once were, or my daughter who's 10, or all the other young girls, when they see certain images in the world and relationship uh, to, uh, or juxtaposed or in conversation discourses with, um, within the Western canon, when they see a Matisse or a Manet um, or Picasso, that in the conversation is a McLean Thomas. And that's one of the reasons why I use the, the genre of West history, Western history, um, art history within my work. So that way there's a Google search, my name comes up and relationship. And not only that, that particular institutions will want to collect those works because they have that um, provenance or sort of relationship um, art historically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Robin Gavon goes on to write that, you know, you built your substantial art world reputation by focusing on Black women and presenting them not as uniquely heroic or long-suffering, not as tools for cultural propaganda, but as self-affirming, sensual beings. In that same profile, you said, and I quote, we too can recline, we too can relax and be seen doing so and have it be empowering and validating for our sense of self. We can be in the moment and in our own space and not be seen as being lazy. Explain how your work challenges, really challenges how black women are seen by society. Well, when you think about the idea of leisure and you think of the idea, and if you just take the word desire, that comes with a very high bar of privilege. And also with, that also constitutes uh, a particular group of people who have the opportunity or who have the, um, as you will, the space to do that because their life equates in a way where they have the time, right? Mm. You know, and, or they, they have the time for self-care, they have the time for good eating, they have the time for good health, right? And oftentimes when you have people who are laborers or from particular classes and who are working, they don't have, they can afford that time. So certain things are sort of pushed to the side and aren't a priority in their life. And so therefore the notion of relaxation, because you're always in the mode of doing or activating or providing or caretaking and all of these things comes at a great cost of your well-being, right? And so Black people in this, and in, in specifically in America and just globally are known to just always doing something. Mm -hmm. And so the, you know, the notion of the soon, as soon as we're sitting or contemplating or in a state of uh, uh, joy, um, it's also deemed as these negative terms. And I think right now what we're finding in this new phenomenon, not only with the artists, but also different aspects of um, the world that Black folk are recognizing that there is a great need for self-care, right? Mm -hmm. And some of that um, is recognizing the state of leisure, the state of taking care of yourself, the state of being physical and active and enjoying. Um, or just lounging in the park. Like, what does that really, this, to have the opportunity to, to wake up and go, I'm going to just go sit in the park today mm -hmm. and enjoy the sun. 
not everyone can afford that. Right. So that can come at a great cost for so many people. And so for me to, um, and many of us today are recognizing that many artists, if you look today, there's resting our eyes. That was at uh, ICA in San Francisco, you know, just did an incredible, you know, exhibition around black leisure about resting, about what does it look, what does that look like? Um, and oftentimes I think about that when I go on vacation with my daughter to try not to work so that she can see me, see that I too, when I'm on vacation, I'm not on my phone. I'm not still do, dealing with business. I'm not doing things, but I'm enjoying her and being in a moment and relaxing because that too is teaching. It's a learned thing, showing the generation, the kids, how to be and how to be in the space of desire and leisure and enjoyment, that you don't always have to be working and taking care of others, that you have to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And so the notion of those reclining figures in art history was also demonstrating a particular privilege for them to be photographed and uh, uh, depicted in such greatness, <laughs> you know, right. and such right. sensuality that, that, that they could afford that because, and that's why you saw, what did you see? You saw black women, black men always in servitude positions because we were the ones working. We were the ones providing that sort of sense of space for, for the other. Right. And so it's time for us to do it for ourselves. You know, I want to uh, jump in and, and, you know, I'm so glad you brought up that point about, you know, when you're on vacation with your daughter, it is leisure. You don't, you don't, you try not to work. You want her to see this. And it took me back to the first time my husband and I went to Martha's Vineyard. And individually, we just started talking about how wonderful it was. And I said to him, to see Black people on vacation. Yeah. families riding their bikes on the bike trails and at the beach and out at restaurants, whole families, kids running up and down the sidewalks. And as much as an important, as important as it is for you to teach your daughter how to yeah. be at leisure, having her be able to see other Black people. Yes. Enjoy, other you know, black people. Yeah, we just went to, you know, on vacation, we try to go to places that she can see you know, I took her to Bahamas and she just was so appreciative and was just like seeing like these black people, there are black people who are enjoying themselves. <laughs> you, you know, there are, we're not, we're not the only ones that we, we are engaged and, and um, surrounded by others who are doing the same. Um, it's, uh, I'll just tell a little anecdote about one of my really dear friends and artists, uh, Derek Adams who really focus on this concept of uh, Black joy, Black excellence, and Black, you know, uh, leisure. And the idea of resting, he created this incredible residency called The Last Resort, where it affords artists, Black artists, to go and sort of just be in the moment and relax. But we were being photographed collectively for a particular printed matter magazine. I can't remember which one, but we were in Fort Greene Park. And there was this incredible depiction of a young Black couple who set up a hammock between two trees, and they had their books, 
And they just, we, we watched the whole thing unfold. And it was the most profound thing to witness in the middle of the day, a black, young black couple deciding to claim space in the park and enjoy each other. And it was just like, and he captured that in one of his paintings. And it's like, to me, a reminder of how we can take care of ourselves and each other, you know, because you don't often see that, you know, and it's just like, you just wanted to bottle that moment. And he did (laughs) sort of a painting to, 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 to capture it. So that way it could be a witness to the world to see that this must happen, that we Mm -hmm. also, with all the doing and sort of the great things that we are involved with, need to also enjoy a state of being, of relaxation. I think if I had been in that park, I would have been right next to you, just mouth agape. I I hope that the non-Black people who are watching fully understand just how something as simple as, as setting up a hammock and claiming that space is so overwhelming and powerful to us. You know, Micheline, you in depicting black beauty, you you do something interesting, as Robin points out in her profile of you. She writes that you heighten their beauty and glamour by incorporating crystals and rhinestones. And she says, you underscore their power with an aesthetic pull that with an aesthetic pulled from the black is beautiful era of the 1970s. What is That's it about? That's right. That's a a really powerful and beautiful sort of underscore. (laughs) But the women that I depict and the women that I uh, sort of hope to capture in my photographs and my paintings already come with that. Mm -hmm. I'm just a witness and a, a creative vehicle, a person to hopefully... I, ex- I, I'm able to express it and, and have it come through and accentuate it, that it, it goes through me onto the surface and the canvas and that I, I do, I provide them justice. That's my hope. So the sort of adulation or sort of gestural uh, um, integration with the material, with the rhinestones, that's just a touch, right? Mm-hmm. It's not really needed. But for me, it it amplifies it. It 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 sort of it puts it in the room amongst others to stand out, you know, to say I'm here. You know, it's just another sort of like, damn it, you you are going to look at me. <laughs> you, know, you know, you're not going to walk away. You're going to stop and you know your sort of your your movement and you're going to you're going to take notice and so that's the hope for the material that it's it's just adding sort of another dimension to it but it's not the dimension because the women already bring it um and they already have it and it's just i'm just uh adding another sort of uh gesture to it um that is coming from looking at images through Jet Magazine and Ebony, looking through all of that pr- Prince of Matter growing up and seeing myself, right? Mm-hmm. And, and and sort of that sense of desire, right? Of the beauties of the week or the highlighted, you know, celebrity or sort of regular person that they're depicting in story. 
because they did something amazing in their sort of uh, neighborhood or that they've sort of pulsated on something. So mm-hmm. for me, those type of things, that's why it's important for, you know, Black people to also um, continue to uh, own and provide particular resources like magazines like Jet, Ebony, Essence, because we have a little more control in the same way as Jet had control socially, politically, of putting Emmett Till on the cover. We have mm-hmm. the control of the, the narrative, the conversations that we want to tell so that way our people are engaged and informed. And to me, that's that comes with great power. And if, when we no longer have those platforms to create the particular narrative and tell those stories, then there's a great concern for who's telling the story and who has the control and how it's written. And they have the power to omit, they have power to rewrite, they have the power to do whatever and sort of uh, shift, shift, shift the gear and the story, shift the gaze, as you will, mm-hmm. and the direction. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. Monarchmoney.com slash podcast. I, 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 I hate to, to correct you in the middle of your own interview, but isn't it the jet? It is. You're right. The jet. Yeah, it is. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. It is the jet. The jet. Colloquially, it's Jet Magazine proper, but it's the jet. Um, yeah, when it you're, is. Uh, when you're, you're talking. Thanks for the correct. It is the jet. The jet. Um, we all just uh, are used to abbreviating it because jets just has so much, you know, nuance to it. It's mm-hmm. Not only to the color, but the power of the movement. Like it's constantly, it has so much to it, so much weight right. to it, you know, I'm, for me, I'm just, that word I, is very powerful. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just teasing. You know, I've spent also, so much time. One, yeah. one thing I should point out that I love very much that is a rhinestone that's always used in my work is called jet, as in color. So I love that, <laughs> you know, and of course it's black, but it's uh-huh. shiny. And it's in uh-huh. different sizes and it's called jet. So it's always used in my work. So it's just like all of these uh, um, kind of relationships within mm-hmm. the material and the work itself that just excites me as an artist. You know, I spent so much time quoting the great Robin Gavon um, profile. I'm gonna go to an audience question. We actually have an, a question from the audience. Oh, Monica, cool. Monica Wisdom from Missouri. She asks, in your study of black women, what is the unique thread that runs through us? What the, our strength, our perseverance, 
you know, um, our fortitude, you know, that's why we are still doing and we're here. I, that's what I think when I think of my, my grandmothers, it's like thinking of that never give up spirit, you know, it's just like that we do not lay down easy. <laughs> you know, we have the fight of fights in us. We will carry many on our back to, to get to the mountaintop. And, um, you know, I think we just have the most uh, incomparable strength within us. Um, and we're also very vulnerable at the same time. We're sensual, we're sex, you know, we have our own sexuality, our own progress. But with that vulnerability, there's this softness and this hardness. And I think that's the thread. And we just have an incredible, incredible uh strength and perseverance. Mm -hmm. I think that's worth it. You, you mentioned, are, are you, uh, to our, our younger, to our children, we pass it on. You know, I, I think a lot of what I've endured as not only a black queer woman, but as just the person of color and growing up from Camden, New Jersey and being where I am, it has a lot to do with the never give up spirit. Mm -hmm. Of people um, saying no or shutting doors and knowing that you know th things are possible. Um, you you were uh, born in Camden. I was born in Newark. So we got two jerseys uh, in a house. <laughs> yes, two out queer Jersey Jersey folks here. Right. So you mentioned earlier that you you're a graduate of Yale, and um, you recently unveiled a mural of noted oh, yeah. civil rights activist Pauli Murray. Uh, at the university. What did it mean to you to create a mural in their honor? Oh my gosh. Um, it, it, it's beyond words. Um, even when I was selected as the artist, um, for um, them to have their own college in their name and have just all of these students go through and shoot, they were such a pioneer and I just only hope that uh, what I've created for the college and the students, that they understand and see the vision that was created and that they understand when looking at this mural, the possibility of looking always to the future, looking always forward and never being defeated and looking back because they've done everything. I mean, there's, there's, there's so many platforms that they've broke through that for me as an artist is a reminder and it's very inspiring to uh, have the privilege um, as an artist to create such a mural. So um, it's like, and it's for me, the beginning of many things to unfold with my relationship with Yale University. So I think it just opened doors for me as an artist to definitely look at uh, that art form, mural, as doing, making murals as a, a new art form of creating impact and change and how I can use the, the form of portraiture through, through murals, because it's a great history to that. And use, deciding on the material of the mosaic is for very historical reasons, because I really wanted this longevity and lineage that will continue on so that it's not something that will deteriorate. It's something that will last for a lifetime. Mm.
you know, as, speaking of as, as Pauli's vision is testament has lasted for right. a lifetime. You know, speaking of um, uh, open doors, you, you recently did something. I think this was brand new for you, a first time um, thing. You recently created the staging and design of Dior's spring summer fashion show. Oh, so yeah. what, what inspired you to use that platform to spotlight black and mixed race um, female entertainers of the past? I mean, it, it, what inspired was the opportunity. And I think when often times artists are given these platforms and possibilities to to uh create a new impact especially with uh the luxury luxurious brand of dior when you have this great opportunity it's a real important um responsibility for the artist to really push some of your ideas forward and i was just really um honored that they accepted them, right? That they were open to it, that there was never any pushback on it. It was like, I wanted to pick Black women who had this bridge between America and, and, um, and, and particularly Paris um, and, and how they had to use the Paris as a way to um, become who they were as icons and shapeshifters and creating change within their own um, fields. Um, and so it was just for me thinking of Dior and the possibility and knowing that it was going to be seen by many different types of people and that it was a network and outlet for me to, to uh, portray these women in the, in the bigger light was I felt a really, uh, a really good moment in time for me to just push that forward. And, mm -hmm. you know, I would say all of these women, most of the women that were depicted for that particular show um, as the backdrops are women that I've been working through for many years, you know, since my thesis show, you know, Josephine Baker, Eartha Kitt, all of these women, you know, Danyang Luna, all of these women I were looking through to, and I learned through the jet and Ebony magazine. So <laughs> um, they become, you know, great for me away as uh, mentors and not just celebrities. They've been become, become people that I look to and look at their lives and mm -hmm. think of how they've risked so much. You think of someone like Eartha Kitt speaking out, uh, you know, against Vietnam War during, you know, speaking towards Lyndon B. Johnson and all of that on using that stage, but not afraid to use her voice and um, her own sort of celebrity as a way of um, creating impact. You know, uh, we've got, I've got so many questions, but I'm going to squeeze in two questions in the less than five minutes that we have. There's something you said at the beginning of this conversation when you were talking about the power of Black women and, um, you know, how society has a way of, of letting you know uh, where you belong, um, telling black women, you know, you get to a certain level, we're gonna, we'll make sure you know your place. And I could not help but think of our vice president, the vice president of the United States. Kamala I know, Harris. this amazing trip in Ghana, which <laughs> I was like, gosh, I wish I was on that. That was, that seemed incredible. And I know so many women who went with her for, uh, you know. Um, mm -hmm. 
Well, I, I ask about her because I just I just wonder if you had, since, you know, this is Washington. I, well, I'm in Washington. This is the Washington yeah. Post. I figured let me let me see if you had any thoughts, given the thesis that you started with, um, how you view uh, the vice president and the treatment she's she's gotten vis-a-vis -vis the press and political opponents. Well, of course, I think it has a lot to do with her being a woman of color. You know, I think we give a lot of leniency to those who aren't, you know, and um, and I think because she is a woman of color, um, she's also using her platform for change. And, and to me that, you know, taking this trip to Ghana and inviting so many other incredible black women is really showing that, showing, you know, the world who we are. And um, I had a great opportunity to meet Kamala. And um, there was one point where I was going to do a portrait of her, but that never sort of came to fruition. I'm still mm. hoping that happens. Um, but I think she's just, you know, the criticism politically, I don't want to get too into it because there's sure. you know, this, this thing that's can you can you can speak in one way and they can just be misconstrued. But um, I look to her and I respect her and I have great faith in what she's doing. Like I believe in her vision mm -hmm. and I believe that she's making some of the best choices that she can within the scope that she's able, <laughs> mm -hmm. within the limitations that she, because there's always things and perspective and perceptions that we don't always know why certain decisions have to be made, but we know that my 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 belief is that the person who's in that position is doing the best that they can with the tools and the situation at that moment. And sometimes you you may not always agree with it, but you have mm -hmm. to hope, and that's what I have for her, that what she's doing, and I might not agree with everything, right? But I'm hoping that she's has decided that she's made the best decision at that moment. Last question. Yes. As Finish it. For the country. Um, last question for you, and we're already over time. So um, I mentioned before that you, um, you mentioned before that you were uh, raised in, in, in Camden, and you told, yeah. to close this out, quoting Robin, quoting you back <laughs> to, from the Robin oh, Gabon piece. My quotes change, and they well, should. <laughs> oh, well, here's what you said. Here's what you said. You said, look, I'm a black girl from Camden, New Jersey. Every once in a while, I've got to pinch myself. Is this happening? This is something that is a reality, is possible, with all of these projects under your belt and surely more to come. Are you still pinching yourself today? I think the moment I stop pinching myself, I need to really sit down and contemplate why I stopped pinching myself. Because pinching myself is a reminder that there's still work that I need to do and there's still a lot of learning, you know? It's a reminder for me to look in a mirror, to reflect and know that that's just one step that I've broke through. There's still a lot more steps. There's a, that, that set of stairs is high, mm -hmm. you know, there's still room for growth. There's still room for transformation. So the moment I stop pinching myself, um, I think there's a problem. Visual artist Micheline Thomas, this was fed, this was so much fun. Thank you so much. Thank you, for, Thank you for so much for this opportunity for this 
was a great privilege speaking with you for the Washington Post for con their continued support of me as an artist and uh, to be able to have this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to K-Part. It's edited by Nick Roberts. We'll have new episodes for you every Thursday. I'm Jonathan Capehart. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ.